The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Surprise, surprise. I was on the air earlier today, and this was going to be a previously recorded interview, but I said, what the heck? We're going to make this a fun thing. We've got a great guest to help us preview week four Thursday night football. JP Acosta, big cat country from SB Nation joining. Uh, I think you joined us last year too, JP, right? When these yep. uh, when these two teams clash. Good to have you back on, man. How are things going? It's going great, man. I love to be on here talking Jaguars, Bengals. I had a great time last year, so I thought I might as well double it up. Well, well I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. You are in uh, Northwestern School of Journalism right now, right? You just made the move yes, over sir. there and uh, doing a lot of different stuff while covering the Jags for SB Nation. Before we kind of dive into X's and O's and all kinds of different things with the uh, with the Jaguars as they get set to face the Bengals on Thursday night, tell us a little bit about yourself and where people can find your great material. Awesome. So like you said, yeah, I just started at Medill University for sports media uh, at the graduate school. But for my professional work, you can find me at SB Nation, where I write for Big Cat Country, specifically about the Jaguars. And then last month, about last month, I joined Football Outsiders as a NFL commentator. So I'm going to be writing a whole lot more about the NFL generally. Maybe I'll write some bingo stuff too. <laughs> and yeah, so you can find me in both those places. Well, awesome. Thanks for for carving out time for us once again. We've been uh, pretty pretty stoked to have some great guests these past couple of weeks as we get to peek over the other side of the fence at things going going forward here. Look, the these two teams kind of are seemingly going in a little bit of opposite directions as they get set to face each other. I guess the first place we would we would want to start is that the head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of the most successful head coaches in college football history. A lot of Bengals fans who are Buckeye fans are partial to Urban Meyer. So uh, tell us a little bit about how things have been going under Urban Meyer. He has yet to win a, a football game as a Jaguars head coach, but uh, how are, what, what kind of direction are things going right now? Well, first question I'd ask you is how much time you got? We got <laughs> a few things. Um, so since Urban Meyer was hired in the offseason this year, of course, there was the wild stuff that happened off the field with 
um, to, with Coach Doyle, a strength conditioning coach, also with uh, signing Tim Tebow. But the on-the-field stuff hasn't come along the way that fans wanted it to, mainly because I don't think Urban Meyer understands that this is an Ohio State. Like, he made the comment saying, like, in the NFL, everybody's playing Alabama. Then you go and watch the Texans play the Panthers on Thursday Night Football, and he's like, man, how do you think this team is Alabama? But <laughs> I think, really, it's this whole year is one big kind of acclimation period for the entire team. You're bringing in a lot of new guys. You're bringing in a lot of new faces, a lot of rookies, especially with Urban Meyer being basically the head coach and also controlling a lot of the personnel decisions with the Jaguars. So I think it's starting real slow because you just have to get adjusted. This isn't the college level anymore where you can just trot out a bunch of guys and they're just higher recruits and you just win games. It's going to come along real slow. That's the thing I think Jaguars fans have come to understand, come to realize is it's going to go real slow. The development's going to be real slow, but you have to these signs that they're there. And I think through the first few weeks, you're starting to see little signs of development. Do you do you get a sense that players, I mean, you, you mentioned this is a pretty young team. There's been a lot of roster turno- turnover, and we'll talk about some of those high-profile players that, um, you know, they've, they've brought in, especially this year. But, I mean, do you get a sense that this team is starting to, I mean, some of these guys are buying into the vision that Urban Meyer is kind of selling. Do you, do you get the the impression that these guys are uh, even though they're zero three, there's still a belief in the process that that he's building there. Yeah, I think there are because if you look back at some of the comments that players made in the off season, where they're fully bought in, they're bought into the way Urban Meyer runs this program. DJ Chark has talked a lot about how being in this off season strength conditioning program has made him a lot stronger and a lot faster. We're seeing that stuff happen on the field. Now it's just the scheme and the talent has to take over. That's not, it hasn't happened yet, but you're starting to see little signs of things that are clicking, you know, especially at the quarterback position where Trevor Lawrence is starting to learn more about the NFL game. You're starting to see it click a little bit. So I think players are buying in. Now it's just all on execution. What? So you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. The Bengals get set to, to take on uh, the Jaguars here on Thursday night. You've got the 2020 number one overall pick in Joe Burrow facing off against the 21 number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. Those two clashed in college in the national championship game. Two of the better quarterback prospects we've seen in a long time. And for, for my money, when I had seen Trevor Lawrence in college, he was one of the best prospects and surefire prospects in terms of NFL talent that I had seen. I think in the early part of the season, you know, he had a game where there was like three touchdowns, three interceptions, and then, you know, you've got some other mixed bag results here. What are you seeing from him? And is he looking every bit the part um, going forward here? I mean, I, I know it's a small sample size, but uh team in, in, in amid a turnover of their roster, is he looking every bit the part? So I think the high end stuff is there. Like you're getting the, crazy touchdowns like the touchdown pass he threw against the Cardinals was put right into a bucket not a lot of quarterbacks make that throw regardless of if they're a rookie or not but I do also think you're starting to see the he's gonna he's gonna test teams down the field that's something that he's always done since he's been in college he's he was aggressive throwing the ball down the field I think he's learned the difference between college open and NFL open 
because college open and the NFL ain't open. That's the biggest thing. But I think you started to see in the Cardinals game, he wasn't trying to force things down the field. In the first two weeks of the season, he was forcing a lot of balls, trying to, if it was like third and 10, he was going to get you 15. If it was third and 15, he's going to try and get you 30. He's going to try and go for those big-time plays. But now as the game starts to slow down a little bit, he's going to be like, okay, I'm going to take this check down here and try and let James Robinson or one of my receivers underneath try and make a, a play out of it. So I think they're starting to get that. But there are going to be those moments where he looks like a rookie. I think Vic Fangio from the Broncos threw a lot of stuff at him in terms of mixing in late rotation safeties, playing cover six, cover four, and basically forcing him to read out zone. He did it all right. There are some times where he forced a lot of throws, and that's really been the biggest thing since he's gotten to Jacksonville. He's going to test teams down the field, which isn't a problem. I think he should continue to do that because when those start to hit, that's going to unlock the offense a whole lot more. He's going to be able to test defenses down the field. He just has to know, you know, I think it's a song where you, you know that no one to hold him, no one to fold him. He's got no one to fold. He's got no one to take the check down, try and make something happen there. Well, I'm officially not on mute this time, I don't believe. So uh, <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep chatting with J.P. Acosta of SB Nation's Big Cat Country, previewing the Thursday night football game as the Cincinnati Bengals host Jacksonville Jaguars. Big night in Cincinnati. They're going to be unveiling the new ring of honor with the four inaugural inductees and also the 1981 AFC championship class. So pretty cool night, uh, especially if you're a Bengals fan, but obviously seeing these two quarterbacks face each other in prime time, pretty cool stuff. I kind of continuing on that a little bit there. You mentioned DJ Chark's name earlier. The you, There's another receiver who's been putting up a, a few numbers for the Jaguars who are near and dear to Bengals Nation's hearts, and that's Marvin Jones. Just a, a great guy, but also a really productive player, particularly for where he was drafted and where he's at in his career. You know, this is, this is kind of what you do if you're a, a first-time head coach or a new head coach and you've got a lot of young guys at important spots like a Trevor Lawrence or what have you. You, you hang on to some of these really good locker room veteran type of guys, and there's a good mix of that. What has Marvin Jones brought specifically to the Jaguars, not only in the locker room sense, but also on the field as a veteran wide receiver for a rookie quarterback? Well, off the field, you can definitely see the impact he's had in terms of how he approaches the game. I think Sanjay Lau, the new Jaguars wide receivers coach, has talked a lot about how Marvin Jones has helped the receivers learn more about the nuances of the game. Because even though DJ Chark had that 1,000-yard season, that Pro Bowl season, he's still young and learning how to play the position. His team is really, really young. And on the field, he's basically been Trevor Lawrence's safety blanket. On third down, he's targeting Marvin Jones. Down the field, he's probably going to target Marvin Jones. They draw up a lot of plays for him, getting him in motion, getting him out to the flat. So if Trevor Lawrence needs to get a quick kind of rhythm throw to get him back in the swing of things, it's going to Marvin Jones. He's been that – he's been a safety blanket. I hate to say the same word again, but he's been the Jaguars' safety blanket. He's been their most productive receiver in terms of getting open as well. Uh, you you mentioned his name earlier too, um, as well as the guy slated to – replace him you know it was kind of a an exciting I I was excited for this um in in terms of what the Jaguars were looking to do with their first two 
picks that they had, you know, you, you get Trevor Lawrence, your quarterback, and then you bring in Travis Etienne, a guy he is very familiar with. Some people thought that was a reach, but I like the idea of reuniting those guys. Unfortunately, Etienne has the season ending injury early on. And now it's, it's James Robinson show again, uh, who was a nice surprise last year, but what, what have they been able to do in the absence of Etienne? Because they, I know they wanted to use him in the passing game too. So have they been able to kind of put some things together in his absence or has it been pretty noticeable? So when you look at Travis Etienne in college, one of the things that stood out is his explosiveness. He can turn a two-yard run into an 80-yard touchdown. The Jaguars lack in explosive plays last year. Since Etienne has gone down, they haven't really had those explosive plays. That's what Urban Meyer brought him in for. He was there to turn the doubles and singles that James Robinson hits into home runs. He was their change of pace guy that they use as receiver. They use at running back. But now that he's not on the field, you can tell that the offense is missing some explosiveness. It's missing that spark that normal Urban Meyer offenses have. Like you think of at Florida, you think of Percy Harvin, Jeff Demps, Chris Rainey at Ohio State. You got Curtis Samuel. You think of those guys who can create and generate plays down the field. That's what Travis Etienne was going to do. I think James Robinson is wholly underused in the mm-hmm. Jaguars offense right now. I think Daryl Bevel, the office coordinator, I think they're still trying to figure out where they want to go as a team offensively. I think a lot of that is due to having Trevor Lawrence split reps in the name of competition with Gardner Minshew, who's now in Philadelphia. You really couldn't see what you wanted to be on offense because you didn't have him running the ones all the time. So right now they're real pass happy, but the run game and it's very limited points has worked really well. They're fifth in their 15th in DVOA in the run compared to 30th in the passing game DVOA. So what they need to start doing is start to become more balanced. And I'm not saying like just run into a brick wall three times and punt, but if the run game is working really well, go ahead and use it. And I think we started to see that in the Cardinals game where they had a touchdown drive that was seven runs in a pass and they Mm. scored on a James Robinson touchdown. This offensive line has been much maligned, but I think they are a little better in the run game than they are in a passing game. Cam Robinson for as much flack as he gets in the passing game, he moves people in the run game. I think AJ can is good in the run game. Brandon, uh, Brandon Linder, very good in the run game. Andrew Norwell is starting to bounce back, but I think this team really is trying, still trying to find its identity throughout the first few weeks of the season where you see, you see that they can, they can, they can run the ball, but it's all about if they want to. I think Trevor Lawrence has thrown the ball ever since that Texans game where he threw the ball 51 times, which is abnormally high for a first, like a first career start. He's thrown it 40 and 30 times. You want to get the run game involved. You want get Trevor Lawrence out on the move with bootlegs, play actions, because he's really good at throwing on the move. So I think really without ETN, you lack explosiveness. But at the end of the day, they really don't have an identity on offense right now. That's what they're still trying to figure out. Uh, quickly here, we had a question in our live chat. You, you talked a little bit about James Robinson right there. Uh, we talked about Marvin Jones. Uh, any thoughts on LaVisca Chenault? I love that guy in college. He was a, he was a fun player. I saw a lot of them on the Pac-12. Uh, how's he been looking in, in year two here? 
So they use LaVisca for a lot of the quick screens, the quick game. I think he's done really well in his role. Um, I think they can use him a little more as an actual receiver down the field because he's shown that he can do that. But there have been some times where he had a little bad case of the drops. I think that happened in week two against Denver. But he's going to be the guy who they run across the middle. He's the one who can take those short routes and turn them into first downs because he's built like a linebacker playing receiver. It's insane trying to watching DBs try and tackle him because it's going to take more than one person to. So I really think LaVisca Chenault needs to just start coming along with the offense because, like I said, the offense really doesn't have an identity, which in the end hurts DJ Chark. It hurts LaVisca Chenault because they're still just trying to figure it out. Well, appreciate you answering that one from one of our, our listeners there. And we'll if, if you've got some more there, we'll try and bring some other questions in the live chats in here. We're going to be spending just a couple more minutes with JP Acosta from SB Nation's Big Cat Country. Appreciate your time, JP. And uh, sorry, I wasted a couple minutes earlier there with my <laughs> microphone situation, but we got to figure it out. I think we got to figure it out. Hey, um, look, earlier on Tuesday, Joe Burrow kind of made an interesting comment, and this is another guy I paid a lot of attention to years ago when he was in college at UCLA in the Pac-10 Pac in those days. Miles Jack, linebacker. Joe Burrow on Tuesday speaking to reporters called Miles Jack the best linebacker, uh, I think, what, what was it, best linebacker in the league or best linebacker he has faced. Um, Jack had a monster game last year when the two teams faced off. I would just what do you what do you make of that comment, and what's the value still later in his career that Miles Jack is bringing to Jacksonville? I am a huge Miles Jack guy. If you see me on Twitter and just look up JP Acosta, Miles Jack, I am Miles Jack propaganda, Miles Jack hype train. I am all about him. I think last year was one of his best years of his career, which is an insane thing to talk about because you have that 2017 season still in the back of your mind. But now he is the unquestioned leader of that defense. He's back to his natural role as a will linebacker. Now he's a run and chase guy. He's done pretty well so far as kind of captaining that defense. I think the second level has played a little up and down. I think that's mainly because teams understand how good Miles Jack is. So the first week against Houston, what they would do is they would motion the running back out of the backfield, get Miles Jack out of the lane, out of the tackle box, where they were going to throw the ball. So I'm all for Joe Burrow's comment saying Miles Jack is the best linebacker in the league because that just makes my takes look a whole lot better. <laughs> but Miles Jack has played phenomenally for the past two years. Yeah, he's been a, a, a good player for them. And I can't remember, did he – I know in college he, they also played him at running back a little bit. Did he ever do that with Jacksonville early in his career? I can't really remember. He hasn't yet, but I'm still yeah. holding out a little bit of hope. I'm holding out hope. So, but I, I remember that player. for sure. It was a, always one of those interesting players, dual threat guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's uh, start talking a little bit about this game before we hop on out of here, JP. Um, what? How how are you feeling about this one going in here? I mean, there's, there's a sense the Bengals are now about a touchdown favorite, depending on which line you, you choose. It's about seven points, seven and a half points. Bengals are coming off a huge win. This has, I, I don't like to use the term trap game because the Bengals have been on that side of that term for many, many years. So I don't like to use that term necessarily, but 
you know, big game at home, emotional Thursday, short week. Um, Bengals coming off a big win, a, a winless team with some exciting players on it, like a Trevor Lawrence. I, I don't know. This is, uh, I don't know how I feel about this one personally. How, as you cover the Jaguars, how are you feeling and, and what's your sense on how Jacksonville is feeling going into this game? They seem to be relatively healthy other other than the, the Etienne injury, obviously, from earlier this summer. So I'm feeling a little, I guess, inconclusive about this game. I have a feeling it could go both ways, honestly, because the main key for Jacksonville is going to be getting pressure on Joe Burrow when they go empty. The Bengals love going empty sets, getting five wide receivers out in formation, and Pittsburgh seemingly could not get Joe Burrow onto the ground. Um, the Bengals' offensive line played great in their uh, game against uh, Pittsburgh, and one of the things that Jacksonville has to do is get pressure. They're one of the top teams in the league in getting pressure, but they also blitz a lot. So if you have to blitz to get pressure, when you go empty, that's taking off one of the guys you can leave in coverage. So this game is really going to be decided on whether Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense can operate out of empty the way they like to against the Jaguars defense that's going to bring heat. They're going to be, they're going to bring blitzes. Joe Cullen is a guy who comes from a Baltimore coaching tree of Wink Martindale who sends a lot of pressure. He's going to play a lot of man. And if you beat him, go ahead. But it's really going to be interesting to see how they operate. Um, the Bengals offense against the Jaguars defense and going over to the flip side, I think the Bengals have to get the uh, Jaguars in second and long. Uh, the Jaguars have been one of the worst teams in the league. I think they're 31st in second and long DVOA. Get them in second and long and play different coverages to kind of mix up Trevor Lawrence's eyes. Because one of the things that he'll do is he, he'll force a ball in the co- in coverage on second and third and long. Like I said, if it's second and 10 or second and 15, he's going to try and go get you 20. So if they can capitalize on those mistakes like they did against the uh, Steelers, where they capitalize on a lot of big, big mistakes, it'll be another one of those games for the Bengals. But I have a really, I have a really interesting feeling about this game. Like everybody's been kind of bashing the Thursday night football games, but this one has a potential to be a really good one. I think it, I think it could be fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know how I feel quite yet about the, outcome but i mean i think it, it could be a fun one based on both the guys playing quarterback there and, and if you have trevor lawrence on your fantasy team or what what have you this might be a good week to play him regardless of the outcome because the Bengals' cornerback group is pretty depleted at this point trey waynes is a maybe um he hasn't played yet this year you've got chidobe awuzie with with an injury he left the steelers game late in that one uh, darius phillips has a hand injury and then you know you've got eli apple out there so the secondary though they've been putting it together and, and keeping things uh, in front of them and limiting the big plays, uh, you know, the cornerback group might be something to focus on if you're uh, Jacksonville here. Quickly here, JP, what, what do you, how do you see this one going? You gave us some great keys there in terms of what, what the Jaguars need to do on offense and defense. That cornerback group for the Bengals is one to watch, I think, based on who plays, who doesn't. But how do you see this one going? You, you, you said you were kind of inconclusive, but do you have a gut feeling as we sit here on Tuesday evening talking about this? So it's funny story. I'm going to be at the game. Uh, oh, really? I'm going to be in Cincinnati for this game. Nice. I have a really, really – I have a gut feeling that since he's going to come away with a win, I think hmm. it's going to be – I think it's going to be a single-digit win, mainly because of the injuries. 
at the Bengals cornerback spots. But if the Bengals can get – if they can basically take away the Jaguars blitzing with empty and just get passes out real quick, the Jaguars play a lot of cover one and cover three. It's pretty much you're going to beat them playing man. Now Tyson Campbell's going into his second career start at outside corner. I think he played fine that first game against Arizona. It was Arizona. That's Some of those things are going to happen. He had a couple great pass breakups on A.J. Green. He allowed that long completion where he ultimately didn't turn around and look for the ball. But honestly, I'm thinking a 33-28 Bengals. Mm. It's going to be a mm. high-scoring one. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'm comfortable. I mean, I right now I'm kind of leaning towards a Bengals win, but I don't. I don't know that I like that point taking the, the points on that. I just I don't know. That's a big spread there, and I, I think Jacksonville is going to play at least inspired. At, at least that's kind of what I what I feel like. Quickly though, um, you mentioned the cornerback group. The the Jaguars swung a trade this week. Um, I believe it was C.J. Henderson, right? Their corner cornerback yeah. that they uh, shipped away there. What was what was the situation there that led to that? And, uh, you know, is that a concern for the cornerback group going forward, getting rid of him? So in the offseason, Urban Meyer and Charlie Strong, the assistant head coach and um, inside linebackers coach, met with C.J. Henderson in the offseason. He was dealing a lot of stuff. I think his on-field play was up and down, to say the least, just from injury and just not being as productive as you hope. and. Ultimately, the drafting of Tyson Campbell kind of made him expendable, where you can now trade him. Like once they once they drafted Campbell, it's like okay, he's on the clock now. So, I think trading him for Dan Arnold to trade him to Carolina is ultimately the best for both parties, mainly just so C.J. Anderson can get a fresh start, and for the Jaguars to kind of see what they actually have in Tyson Campbell. Um, this does leave the Jaguars' depth chart at corner really thin. Because if Tyson Campbell goes down, then Trey Herndon's having to move from nickel to outside, or they'll have to play Chris Claybrooks, who's mainly a special teamer on the outside, which is something that they really don't want to do. So ultimately, this trade is the best for both parties because you get another tight end in the receiving game. But it does leave Jaguar, the Jacksonville cornerback group real thin. Well, JP, thanks for your time, man. This has been awesome chatting with you, previewing this game, and we hope you have fun out in Cincinnati this this weekend. Maybe maybe not in the form of a Jaguars win, but we hope you have fun <laughs> regardless of of uh, the result there. And hopefully, our listeners, if they're going to the game, I almost went to this game too. So if I was there, I would have would have definitely hung out with you. But um, uh, hopefully, some of our listeners recognize you and maybe give you a, a hello while they're out there. Where where once again can people find your stuff? and especially this week as the Bengals take on the Jaguars on Thursday night. So you can find me at Big Cat Country on SB Nation, and you can also find me at Football Outsiders. Awesome. Well, thanks, JP. Take it easy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in live. And for those downloading after the fact, let's have a fun one on Thursday, regardless of the result. And uh, JP, once again, appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Take it easy.